The Wicked Witch of the West in Wizard of Oz, Darth Vader in Star Wars, the Joker in Batman. I wonder who you would say is the greatest enemy of all time. As this is part of a church service, you're maybe hoping or even expecting that I say the devil. But right now I actually want you to think of people in your own life. Or people who you have experienced who have been an enemy of you whenever it comes to your Christian faith. And where an enemy attack comes, where do you turn? Again, as this is in a church service, you maybe are hoping or expecting that I say God. Well, this time you'd be right. But why turn to him? How can he deliver us from an enemy attack? What do I even mean whenever I say enemy attack? Well, this is what we're going to unpack together as we look at Psalm 3. So, hello everyone at, at Gilman Hirk Baptist Church and for anyone checking the talk out online. My name is Phil Howe. And just to tell you a wee bit about me, uh, I have one wife and her name is Lindsay. I have two boys called Oliver and Theo. I live in Carrickfergus. And so for those of you who are regular church attenders, you're maybe wondering, and you've maybe got that question in your head and the answer is yes, Mr. McKittrick did teach me whenever I went to Carrick Grammar. I'm the Training and Resources Manager for Scripps Union Northern Ireland, which means that this past year I just had the immense privilege of being able to help out with Jack McFerrin in his internship. And also means that I'm former colleague of your pastor Drew, who I'm extremely grateful to for the opportunity to be able to come and to share. As a church family, you're going through the Psalms, looking at a song for every season. And as I've mentioned, we're going to be looking at Psalm 3. So if you've got a Bible, can I encourage you to run and get it if you don't have one already beside you or with you? Uh, can you get it? Can you open it? Can you turn it on to uh, Psalm 3? And as you do, let me share a wee bit about the Psalms and Psalm 3 in particular. A man named Martin Luther describes the Psalms as the Bible in miniature. The Psalms speak directly for us in the presence of God. They give us the language to pray to talk to God whenever we don't even know how we ought to pray. Like every emotion is available and poured out. And the great thing about them, it's a bit like Job, the book of Job in the Bible whenever it comes to suffering. The language brings our issues to God rather than just talking about them. Like there's real honesty based on real lives, real situations, even hopeless situations that you may see in Psalm 88. What's the situation we find ourselves in with Psalm 3? Well, if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do so, especially in this online format, because it's very easy to get distracted, isn't it? Um, but if you're taking notes, under Psalm 3, we're going to look at it with the title, The God Who Delivers From The Enemies Who Attack. The God Who Delivers From The Enemies Who Attack. So if you're talking to someone later on today, or as a family, you sit down, and you know your parents or whoever's going to ask you, kind of, what was the sermon or what was the talk about today? You're able to say, Psalm 3... And it's the God who delivers from the enemies who attack. The background or context to this psalm is that it's a psalm of David. He's writing at a time when his third born son, his own blood and flesh, his own son Absalom, is stirring up trouble for him. Trying to take the crown off his father. And so David is in hiding because Absalom actually does have, a, he's got a bit of a following. And you can read that story in 2 Samuel chapter 13 to chapter 19. And we find out that he's the third born in 1 Chronicles chapter 3. So David's in hiding, and this is what he says. So let me read it for us together, and then I'm going to pray. We can't understand what we're reading without God's help. Uh, so Psalm 3, 
And I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies in the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Let's pray. Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes, you would focus our minds, you would warm our hearts, you'd warm our hearts to you, that we grasp a greater picture of who you are today. Show us how glorious this good news message of Jesus Christ really is. And for we ask it in his precious name, for his glory and for our good. Amen. I wonder how you answered the question that I gave at the start. Who would you say is your biggest enemy? As I said, we're looking at the God who delivers from the enemies who attack. So first let's look at these enemies who attack. For David, these enemies seem many. They seem overwhelming. Their number is unknown. Look at verse 1 with me. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Now, can you imagine being in this situation? Your own son being against you. Your own son causing people to be against you. Causing trouble to be stirred up for you. Like we all know children can be trouble from time to time. But like this, this brings you to a whole new level, doesn't it? I think it was Eugene Peterson who said, Trouble triggers prayer. And this is exactly the situation that David finds himself in. But what about the situation you find yourself in? As Christians, what situations do we find ourselves in where we, where we face enemies? Now an enemy is someone who is actively opposed or hostile to us. And it could be in relation to standing up for ethical issues like abortion or marriage. It could simply be seeking to keep Christianity as part of the public square. It could be in your family as you stick up for what you believe in and who you believe in. It could be work, school, university or friendship groups. Where there's just this tension with someone seeking to oppose you because of who you follow. And again, I wonder, in your imagination or in your memory, what, what stories this is recalling from your life. As I mentioned those examples. Are there, there words that have been said, but words that have stuck with you? Like this is what David's witnessed. Look at verse 2. We're thinking about the enemies who attack. We read, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Notice it's not cannot deliver him, it's, but will not deliver him. These enemies are stirring up trouble for David, causing him to think that God isn't for him. God isn't there for him. And because of the person that David is, that God will not deliver him. Again, to deliver means uh, to rescue, to save, to set someone free. And as people look at this situation, David's saying, people are looking and saying, God won't deliver you. Like, this, this is it for you. Notice also it isn't about what the enemies are doing. It's about what the enemies are saying. Many are saying of me. Like, this is a guy in hiding, but what sticks with him are the words. Like we know the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Okay, I'm talking to a computer screen, so I'm kind of assuming and hoping that you're saying that words will never hurt me. But what utter nonsense! Words are powerful. They can build up, they can break down. God created by the power of his mighty word. 
We cannot underestimate the power of our words. And with Psalm 3, we cannot underestimate the power of the words that people say to us. Particularly our enemies. And I'm going to suggest for us today that sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. Sometimes it isn't those out there that are telling lies, but it's ourselves. You know who speaks to you the most? You do. What we need to do is we need to learn to speak truth to ourselves, which is why it's so important to know, to retain, to recall Scripture at certain parts of our day, in good times, in difficult seasons. And perhaps there's part of this psalm today that would be good for you to learn off, to be able to recall. Because the reality is sometimes we're the ones that are saying to ourselves, God will not deliver me. Why do we do this? Well, it's because we know ourselves the best. I know all about me. And unfortunately that means all the rubbish bits that I don't like. The bits that I try to hide from other people and even foolishly try to hide from God. And as we dwell on our shortcomings and failings we begin to convince ourselves God will not deliver you. Come on Phil, you know what you were thinking the other day. You know what you were saying. You know what you were doing. You're good enough for God. There's no way he's going to accept you. There's no way he's going to rescue you. And it can be overwhelming. Because we battle... Both voices without and within. Look at verse 6. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Like tens of thousands are surrounding David. Tens of thousands are his foes. And yet notice what he begins to speak to himself. I will not fear. And why not? Well, we may have enemies who attack, but we have a God who does deliver he can deliver, he will deliver. Follow along with verse 3. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. How do we know God will deliver? It's because of his character and who he is. He is David's shield. Now, yes, David is a special king, but nevertheless, in this situation, we can identify with him. Because we too worship the God of David. The God of David is the God of you and me. And the same way he was a shield for David, he can be our shield too. He protects us. Like I love this biblical imagery and metaphor that we see in the Bible. And it's, it's God's grace to us, isn't it? That we even catch a glimpse of what our indescribable God is like. Because not only is he a shield, he's also David's glory. Like that's the goal, that's the prize, that's the focus. That's his focus for David. It's, it's him getting God. David is still God's anointed. He's still God's chosen one. And even though it seems like his kingdom is falling to bits... The king this king serves isn't. He has his priorities right. God is his glory. Now unfortunately, and with great sadness for everyone online today, I have to say that Liverpool Football Club won the Premier League. And as a Man United fan, that really hurts. But I know many Liverpool fans, and for them, the past 30 years, the Premier League has been the pinnacle they've wanted. It's been what they've been chasing, it's been what they've been dreaming of, it's been what they've been desiring. It's been their glory. And so no wonder the celebrations that took place and still taking place and the celebrations that broke out whenever that glory is reached. And so we will have to ask ourselves, what's our ultimate glory? If we go to heaven and only God was there, would that be enough? We need to be careful that we don't fall in love with the gifts rather than the giver. 
In David's situation, God gave him his throne, and now this throne is under attack. And in the midst of this situation, possibly being taken away from him, and yet David still turns to God. He doesn't curse him. Why? Because God himself is the prize. God is the glory. It's about the giver, not the gifts. My boys, Ollie and Theo, love playing with a neighbour of ours. And in truth, they, they really get on with him. But you know what they seem to love more? His Playmobil. Like, this guy has lots and lots of Playmobil. And in truth, I would say, you take that Playmobil away, my sons could be disappointed with that relationship. It's not like that with David. Take away the throne, and as long as he gets God, that's, that is what is important. That relationship with God is what's important. And so in our lives, we need to remember, God's not against you having things, but he's against things having you. Because he knows for our ultimate good that he's the answer. He's the glory. He's the best thing we can have. He's also the one who lifts our head. And that's a great picture, isn't it? Of someone who's just so deflated. Because in order to lift someone's head, their head needs to be low. It needs to be down. It's like someone who just gets bad news. Or you're having a bad day and then you spill something over yourself. And you're just like, oh. And with the enemies that attack, we see David's head is down. He's deflated. And yet he has God, the one who lifts his head. And the one who can lift our head. He's the one who lifts my head high, says David. Now the strange thing about being kind of parachuted into a church situation like this is that I, I don't know your story. I don't know the season that you're going through. But if this song resonates, if you're feeling deflated, I really do hope and pray that it picks you up. And if you're in a really good space right now, praise God, but hold on to this. The reason why God can deliver is because he lifts our head high. How can he do that for us today? Well, the reason that we can know and trust this is because of another son of David. We're moving on from Absalom here and we're thinking about Jesus Christ. I've been reading through Matthew's Gospel recently and a favourite term used in that Gospel is son of David. It's referring to the promise from 2 Samuel 7, verse 13 and 14. Let me read. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I love these themes and connections in the Bible. In Psalm 3, with Absalom, we have a rebellious son who's seeking to get rid of God's anointed. In Jesus, we have an obedient son who fulfills this promise and is God's anointed. We have Absalom who's looking to steal David's throne. But we need to look to Jesus who sacrificed himself as the forever king to sit on David's throne. And so God can lift our head high today because of the one he sent whose head would be bowed low. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 30, we read, When he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And a man named Eric Raymond puts it like this, Gaze upon this scene in your mind's eye, Christian, when you're feeling the weight of sin, the bitter herbs of despair, the pain of persecution. Remember that it was Jesus who bowed his head that you may have your head lifted. You have no right to bow your head now. There's no reason to despair for the greatest ills and enemies lay slain in the shadow of the crucified Saviour. Oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? The Absalom's of this world are gnats compared to the deadly vipers of sin, death and Satan. But market believer, these foes are dead for they have been crushed by the powerful saving sovereign, our Jesus. 
God does lift our head, but only because God has bowed his. Sometimes we get it so wrong in life and we work to pursue the best the world has to offer and we forget that we have a God who sent the best he has to offer the world. Verse 4. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. We have a God who can deliver. He hears us and if we cry out, he will answer. Now sometimes the answer is going to be yes. Sometimes the answer is going to be no. Sometimes the answer is going to be not yet. But notice where he's answering from. David tells us he's answering from his holy mountain, his holy hill. Remember the context from where this is written? David is hiding from Absalom. He's worried about losing his holy mountain, his holy hill. And now David recalls and brings his prayers to a God who never leaves his. God is never off the throne. And did you know that there's a daily routine that we all do that allows us to rest in the knowledge of that truth? Look at verse 5. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. God can deliver because he sustains us on a daily basis. He's the one who provides breath to our lungs whether we lie down and sleep or whether we rise up and wake. Tomorrow morning whenever you wake up, even tonight whenever you go to bed, be mindful that we have a God who sustains us. A God that although we fall asleep, he never sleeps, he never slumbers. The SAS say that sleep is a weapon. I guess as Christians we can say that too. A pastor named John Piper says, Sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. Once a day God sends us to bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to think we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. David understands that not only is God his shield, his glory, the lifter of his head, but he's the God who sustains day and night. A woman named Irene Howitt tells the heart-wrenching trial of Pat and Andrew Corey in 1981. They lived here in Northern Ireland. Their nine-year-old Jennifer had cycled off to a friend's house to play and never came back. A week later, she was found murdered. And Dale Ralph Davies, as he, he tells his story, says, What days and nights those were, while they were waiting and searching and not knowing for sure. About the fourth day, Pat's doctor dropped her off some sleeping tablets, and that night she took herself off to bed with the tablets, wondering if they were to be her constant crutch. Before bed, she was meditating, and a verse from Psalm 127, verse 2, came to mind. In vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. She thought about those words and the love in which they were wrapped. She claimed them and slept peacefully that night and every night afterwards. It didn't bring Jennifer back. It didn't bring that magical end to her anguish. But sometimes God does that. He gives peace in trouble and tragedy. He allows us to sleep. Psalm 3 verse 7. Look at it with me. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies in the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. You know, as you read the Bible, there's one thing that becomes clear. There's many things that become clear. God is patient. He's loving. He wants people to come to know and love him. He gives time for repentance. And to repent simply means to make a 180 from going your way to a 180 and go God's way. And in this psalm, we see David talking about his enemies. But we have to remember that being against David meant being against God. It meant pitting yourself against him and making an enemy of God himself. That's not a good place to be in. 
Yes, God is like a compassionate gardener in that he gives time to see if good comes. But he's a God who takes action if it doesn't. And so we need to be humble this morning. If you're a Christian, we can't be smug as we hear this. Because we too were once enemies from God. Colossians 1.21 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That means that we don't have to hold that line in our head. God can't deliver you. God will not deliver you. You aren't good enough. Because the Bible flips that on its head. It agrees we aren't good enough. But God and his love and his grace and his mercy will deliver you. And so we trust in God. Who he is, what he's done. We don't trust in ourselves and who we are and what we do. Which is why we hear a cry of confidence from David in verse 8. From the Lord comes deliverance. I wonder how good your vision is. I wonder if you are someone who, who has kind of 20-20 vision. Even if you do, I really doubt uh, that you or any of us could have predicted how this year 2020 would have worked out. But they say the best sight is actually hindsight. And I think it's really helpful for us to look back over our lives and see where God has delivered us, rescued us, been our shield, the lifter of our head, our sustainer. Think about David. David was able to look back. Once this former young shepherd boy, he wasn't even given a chance at being God's anointed by his own family. Yet the boy who was God's representative, willing to take on God's enemy. To face the Philistine representative Goliath and come out victorious. Like David can look back on, on those in many other situations and see God's hand. He see God's deliverance. He knows it's the Lord who brings deliverance because he's witnessed it firsthand. And so as you look back in your life, where is God? Even in those times where you thought he wasn't there. The psalm finishes with the line, may your blessing be on your people. Sometimes I think we get a bit confused whenever it comes to God's blessing and what that looks like. In fact, there's a great documentary on Netflix right now called The American Gospel, and I heartily recommend that to you. It delves more into that. But sometimes we foolishly believe that whenever we follow God, it's all sunshine and lollipops, and everything's fine. Well, that's something that's never promised in the Bible. And some of you may sit there and hear me say that statement and agree with that statement, and yet how often does it start to creep in to our language or even in our thinking? I want to tell you about a trend I see on social media. Don't worry if you're not on social media, I'll explain. And for those of you that are, you'll maybe know what I'm talking about. That person gets a new job and they share it with the world and they put beside it, hashtag blessed. Another person shares their baby scan photo and puts beside it, hashtag blessed. Another person as you're scrolling shares that their relative got healed from sickness and puts that they're blessed. But what about the person who's struggling in their job and can't find a way out? Perhaps someone who's lost their job. What about the couple who have went through multiple miscarriages? Or that family who have lost a child? What about the prayer for healing that wasn't seemingly answered? And so instead of a picture with their relative at the bedside, that turns into a funeral service for the relative at the graveside. Please don't hear me wrong. If, if good things happen, give God glory. He deserves it. But let's seek to do that in every circumstance. I have a friend who isn't a Christian and 
I brought him along to an event where he heard a guy's testimony, the story of how God was working in this guy's life. And afterwards, as we were talking about it, he just said, speakers just seem to make it seem that everything's okay. You become a Christian and everything works out fine. And if Psalm 3 has told us anything, it's that even being on God's side, trouble can come. But when it does, where do we turn? As we look at David hiding from Absalom, it may have felt that to David that God wasn't in control and yet he's working through it. Now we have the luxury of being able to look back and we can see uh, Jesus uh, dying on the cross and in that moment, in that moment, it looked like God had lost control. But he's working through it and we know that because of the resurrection. We can be blessed as we face enemies. Look at Jesus. How does he not only encourage us to respond, but actually respond himself? He says that we're to pray. And whenever we pray, we need to remember the God he delivers from the enemies who attack. We need to remember who we're praying to. C.S. Lewis once said that people need to be more reminded than instructed. So be reminded today of who God is. See, we don't just need to know about the truth. We need to learn to love the one who is the truth. The theme of your series is a song for every season and right now this may be a really difficult season that you're facing. Facing many enemies. But I pray that this psalm acts like a seed. And if you do feel deep in manure, remember that seeds grow through manure and so does faith. As disciples of Jesus we want to produce fruit that will last. And sometimes there's different seasons and better seasons for fruit to grow. But all the while we need to be connected to the root, to the source of life, our almighty God. He's our sheep. He's our glory. He lifts our head high. He sustains us. He delivers. So no matter who you say the greatest enemy is or the greatest enemy you face is in this season, let's turn to the God who delivers. As David ran from the son who was seeking to devour him, let us turn to the other son of David, Jesus Christ, the one who bowed his head low so he could lift our heads high and ultimately give us victory over our greatest enemies, sin, death, and Satan, and deliver us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are our shield. We thank you that you are the one who sustains us. You can lift our head high. And we praise you for sending Jesus, the one who bowed his head low for, you, for us. Father, we praise you for how you work. And even... No matter what situation or season we're going through, Father, I pray that Sam, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would work through us, that we'd be able to recall, retain, and we'd be able to use it for your name and your glory. And ultimately, 